Uh, good evening, and welcome to the 29th episode of the North of 49 podcast. As per the usual, I'm Scott. And you are here with your old friend, Curtis. Curtis, um, we've been friends for a long time, and uh, since we've been uh, adult men, the Edmonton Oilers have been an incompetent hockey team. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. This year might be different. I guess I'll lead off with the question for you. Is it? There has been a, a bit of a different feeling to it. Uh, obviously, Jesus has uh, has reasons to uh, to cause that, but they, they, there's a different feel around the team, and some of it probably comes with just the new building and, and a lot of newness. But mm-hmm. yeah, a different vibe, definitely a different vibe about them. Um, I'm going to sound like a fanboy for a second here. Oh no! I think it's for real. Uh, we are talking, for those of us, for those listening, we're talking following their loss to Ottawa last night. But um, I think this is a team that might be able to sneak into the playoffs in a bad division, which is what they are in. And if McDavid stays healthy, which is the ultimate question, I think it might be enough. Uh, if you look at that division, and I'm pulling it up so I don't forget what teams are in the, these new divisions, but the orders need to finish... Top three or best wild card. The only good teams in their division are San Jose, uh, Anaheim, and LA. Both have massive problems, and then they just have to finish ahead of teams like Vancouver, Calgary, and Phoenix, who are all terrible. So they'll at least, I think, be in the discussion for the wild card, and possibly might be able to sneak into those top three, especially if. Uh, Especially if the Kings and Ducks continue to flounder, and it looks like they might have serious injury problems and cap problems, so it seems like it's in play. Yeah, I think the aside from their better overall play, the most important thing is the division. It is relatively weak, and yeah, get into that third slot, and you've got a playoff spot. You're just kind of squeaking in on a technicality almost, but their overall play has been much better. Definitely defensively, they still get trapped in their own end and do some some boneheaded things, but all teams do. And uh, you really do notice their speed. I know people have said that about the Oilers for 10 years, but this is the one time where you do notice it. Obviously, McDavid is very fast, but uh, most of the others are also. Mm-hmm. You know, it does, uh, the McDavid factor, we, we've talked about him, everyone's talked about him. Uh, he is so unbelievably good. But the numbers out of the gate are so staggering. You know, when you think a team is 7-2 and two, like the Oilers are, you'd think that they have a bunch of guys who are lighting it up out of the gate. But really, it's not true. Their second-leading scorer is Milan Lucic. He has 7 points. And McDavid has 12. <laughs> he's, he's miles ahead of everybody else in, by every metric. And a bunch of Oilers, and including like, you know, their second-line centerman is Ryan Nugent Hopkins. He hasn't scored yet. He has 4 points. And you can imagine, if they can get the rest of their team going, even playing you know, average hockey, that should be enough, I would think. I think what's been somewhat refreshing is, well, obviously, McDavid and his line has been very good. They have had the odd game where, you know, like Pouliot had a couple goals, I think, in the Canucks game. And uh, Nuge had a couple assists in, uh, was it maybe the same game? Some of the other lines have done their part. Uh, Pitlick's been good in his limited time. He has been. He has been. I, I told everybody I know that I thought he was 
I couldn't believe he was in the NHL again this year. And he's looked uh, pretty competent in the role he's playing. I think so. It's a kind of a shame that they actually don't give that line very much time on the ice. They mm-hmm. probably play about seven minutes, but yeah, there's things they got to do better. Their power play isn't very good. Um, probably some points from the defensemen a bit more would be kind of nice. Uh, Talbot's been great. You know, if, he, if he slips at all, that there's probably some concern. He is going to slip. He's not going to keep playing as well as he's playing. Let, no, let's be honest. Not. Yeah. And to just to jump in on what you said there, I don't know what Oilers defense and they expect to get points on this team. That probably is one of the remaining issues. They they don't have anything resembling an offensive defenseman on this team. Like who, who is their best one? Is it Chris Russell? Uh, it, it could be. Amazingly, probably, yeah. Yeah, none of these guys are even, I mean, they're at best average offensive defensemen. So I, I think that, that might be a, a remaining issue for the Oilers. They could probably use, you know, they could probably use one of those, uh, <laughs> they could use a better version of Justin Schultz in a lot of ways. A guy who could run the power play, play 13 minutes a night as a sixth defenseman, and uh, but at least would have like a, you know, you know at least be able to move the puck around. Now, Justin Schultz was a catastrophe, don't get me wrong, but someone like that, but good. Yeah. You know, I, I really like Adam Larson. I have to go on record as saying that. He's mean. He plays physical. I, I really appreciate it. That was a that was a surprising uh, twist. You know, you don't hear about that, and you didn't hear about that in his... In the previews of Adam Larson, it was just like he's a competent defenseman who plays no, they, the top. No, they minutes. just said he, yeah, just yeah, steady defenseman plays against top top forwards. That was really about all that was ever mentioned. Mm-hmm. But th- that is kind of one of the things about the team that I do like now is uh, I think in the Washington game in particular, you know, uh, Sportsnet flashed the stats, and I think the Oilers had like twenty three hits, and Washington had five at one Which point. Which is just mind boggling for the Oilers, really. Well, it is. I mean, it did mention that Washington does have the lowest number of hits in the league and did last year, something to that effect. So it shouldn't have been a great surprise that there was such a difference. But yes, for the Oilers, it was something else. It was really something else. So we're, uh, I guess we're about one ninth into the season so far. I, I just, uh, I want to, you said, about going on the record saying you like Adam Larson. I want to go on the record saying, um, Regardless of how this year goes, I think what has happened out of the gate has validated a lot of the things Peter Shirelli's done. Um, even if things go pear-shaped here and the orders are bad again, all of his moves, you can understand them, especially after watching nine games. They paid a huge price to get Larson, but everything defensively fits into place. All of a sudden, guys like Darnell and Nurse are playing the minutes of a sixth defenseman rather than playing, you know, as a 3-4 in his first year in the NHL. They have something resembling a top defensive pairing. I think Sekera and Russell as, you know, sort of your 3-4 guys is nice. And the defense makes sense now. Like, obviously, they're still really thin and, and things could go wrong. But you understand that trade. You understand why they got rid of a guy like Yakupov for nothing because they needed that money to sign Russell. You understand the Talbot move. You understand, like, the contracts they were. It just, I think the whole team, to me, makes sense. They have size on every forward line, which is something that was sorely lacking. They sort of stand up for each other. It hasn't come up that often, but the team makes sense. This this is a team that fits as it should. It still might not be good, but at least it, at least it was made with a, a plan in mind. 
what what do you do now with uh, Puyu Yarvi? I send him now. I think so too, right? Yeah. yeah. It, it, let's not kid ourselves. We're not winning no Stanley Cup this year, so just sheer dollars and cents say that you have to send him down, doesn't it? I, I just think he. I haven't watched every game. He looks so much. It, it looks very similar to. Um, Trey Saddle and a lot of these other guys who they forced up way too fast. He doesn't look NHL ready. Ready. He's not Patrick Lani. He's not Austin Matthews. There's no point to rush these guys along. As you said, they're not. You know, they're not winning the cup. If things go great, maybe they'll make the playoffs. I just don't think it's a good move to keep these guys up. He doesn't look ready to me. And I'm no expert, but what's the point? One one yeah. season in the AHL, bring them up next year. Better results. He has flashes. In some games he looks really comfortable. In other games he looks kind of lost out there. Mm-hmm. I just don't see the harm in sending him down. Like, are we super deep with the competent forwards to fill his spot on no. uh, whatever he plays second line? Not particularly. No. But whatever. Give give Pitlick a chance. I don't think he's guys. been... Like, why not? Yeah, I don't think he's been giving them a, particular, a lot anyway. I mean, he scored in his first game. Oh, I agree. He hasn't scored since. He plays 12 minutes a night. It'd be much. It make much more sense to let him go down to the minors and play twenty minutes a night. At least, it, it seems it would be a classic Warriors mistake to keep him. But I suspect they will send him down. Well, you know they got. Uh, well, starting tomorrow, they've got their five game road trip out east, and I think we're gonna see if a lot of this was smoke and mirrors, or if they are pretty good. Well, you I think. Beat, you beat me to that point, but I I couldn't agree more because. Outside Toronto, which is a pretty soft opponent, they play four pretty good teams who could all be in the playoffs. If they can survive this, if they can even go two and three, keep their head above water, I think the Oilers might be in business. I think that, yeah, that's, I don't want to say that's the best we can hope for, but if they come back two and three, preferably beating the Toronto Maple Leafs as one of those two, then, yeah, I'd say we could feel pretty good about it. I they played a pretty they played a good game against Ottawa mm-hmm. last night. Was it last night? Last night. Last night. And it was I, Ottawa, I was very impressed. You you look at their lineup and you're like, "Oh, well, these guys aren't very good." No, but defensively. But they were very well organized, very trap oriented, but disciplined, knew what they were up to. And it was a classic it was like watching the Oilers play the Minnesota Wild oh. of, of the 2000s oh, because the Oilers, they, the Oilers didn't know what to do, right? Mm-hmm. They, they got a lot of shots. Anderson was really good, but they weren't high-quality shots. It was just stuff from around the perimeter. Um, classic kind of team that they they still don't know how to break down. Which is weird because Ottawa has been a, a disaster defensively this year, but uh, a different, uh, different, different. different last night. Oh, they, they, sat, they sat way back. Um, would send one four checker, but yeah, they'd stay way behind the the center red line, collapsing even inside their own blue line. Mm-hmm. Well, the other interesting thing about this road trip uh, is it is a five games in eight nights road trip. So Ooh, we're going to see some backup goalie action. We are absolutely, and I will say, if it starts badly, it could go real bad real fast. In Miller. Well, so I think it's pretty important they get an early win against the Leafs, who are. Uh, let's be honest, terrible. So uh, I'm very curious about how this how this breaks down. That one should be theoretically a shootout, right? 
Yeah, and I, I would, you know what? I, I would expect Connor McDavid is going to go crazy in that game. So put your I, money down on Connor McDavid putting putting up two or three points at least, because national, you know, it was the Leafs. He always shows up for those. He always shows up for the big games against Canadian teams. Win or lose, he's going to light up Toronto. I hope so because I if if I have to listen to Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner talk for the oh, next week. TSN has. I don't know if just, I could do it. They have been out of control with the with the Leafs coverage so far. The Leafs are two and seven. That has to be mentioned. They, and you would think that they are undefeated and beating teams by six goals a game. TSN should really just like double or triple down on going all Jets and Sens. Because that is the only hockey games they got. Well, I think the problem is those are two of the, uh, what's the word, lousiest Canadian teams. In a lot of ways. Least, least, you know, least like, interesting, that's for sure. Yeah, like Winnipeg's not making the playoffs. They're going to be the same 35-win team. Ottawa's not making the playoffs. They're going to be the same 35-win team. Ottawa, i got to say, has a lot of like players I kind of like. They have like a, they have like seven second-liners on that team. Like... A lot of guys you could play anywhere, but they have no elite skill except Carlson, and he's a flawed player in some ways. They're, they have two teams that just have no chance, I don't think. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Winnipeg probably will do like they do every year and scrap for that last spot in the playoffs. Maybe they make it, maybe they don't. Probably doesn't really matter. And Ottawa, no, yeah, their record's okay right now. They could be similar but it's just that just kind of in the middle what is winnipeg which is a dangerous not, uh, place to be if, if winnipeg wasn't you know if winnipeg wasn't winnipeg uh you know like have recently moved back it's got to be one of the most you know that just feels like a hopeless situation to me doesn't it i know this lawning guy's good but they're not going anywhere they're they have no goaltending they have just a bunch of they have like there's nothing about that team that excites me I, I just don't think that they have any chance of making the playoffs. Even if Lonnie continues to lead their team in scoring and Shifley picks it up. It's just a bunch of pluggers and just sort of B-minus players all over the place. It's true. I, have you noticed how, and this is somewhat off topic, doesn't it feel like in the past few years that there's been a number of rookies that kind of take the league by storm. Does it feel like the success rate is a little higher than it used to be? Out of the gate? Out of the gate. I've long Maybe wondered why... we've watched a, a, a number of bad Oilers rookies over the years. But... I'm just curious how often it seems, and I, this is purely uh, uh, just a, a random option. I could probably prove wrong, but... It does feel like there are years where it's a particularly loaded rookie crop. You know, the, the years where there's like six or seven guys who could win rookie of the year. And then there's years where like no rookie is ready, like the Yakupov year, which is still one of the worst drafts in history. It's strange how much that fluctuates. Like Matthews and Lonnie are immediately, you know, they're both stars. They're going to be, there's no way those guys would be sent down. They're stars for, you know, as long as you can imagine. It must have to do with, well, it must have to do with the, the just the level of training that they get at a younger age now. Like you come in, you know, built like a a proper man, as they say. I, there's got to be something to it. I just don't even know. Yeah, I just, off the top of my head, maybe it's because the league's a lot less physical. 
There's less not, fighting. There's less days of like the idea, young guys yeah. taking unbelievable abuse. Like if you even think the way that a guy like Taylor Hall was beaten up when he came into the league, and the orders are a bit of a you know uh, a bad example because they they're one of the teams that never defended their young guys. But I, I just feel it is a softer touch in the NHL. You don't get worked over in the same way. You don't you know you're not subjected to the same beatings some of these guys took. So maybe you don't have to be as physically ready because there's not as much hitting, there's not as much fighting, there's not close to as much violence as there used to be when we watched the hockey in the 90s. I, of course, couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. And speaking of a beating... Yes. We, and I imagine some of our listeners, as football fans, have been taking a beating watching NFL because the games have been terrible. Which has just been, um, it's been probably the worst year I can remember for the NFL. What, what are the positive storylines out of the NFL this year? If you had to name what is going well for the league. Uh, their attempt to get as many ties as possible is uh, full steam ahead. That's mm-hmm. going well. Uh, uh, Dallas is good, which I'm sure they're very happy about. Yeah, there's that. Uh, they're... Tom Brady is taking the league by storm. I'm, I know he's Roger Goodell's favorite so, person. So it's always nice when a, a cheating team wins, as always. There's a, just a lot of mediocrity, I think, mm-hmm. is is probably the best way to look at it, despite some of the records. I, I think, um, obviously, people have heard about how football's ratings are way down, which seems it seemed unthinkable even as recently as last year. I think it might just be the sheer force of all of all of the negative elements of football have finally worn people down. And I feel this way at least. You have the player safety issue. You have the constant injuries. You have the oversaturation of the NFL. You have the incompetent management of the NFL. You have, you know, the, the, there's... The games are worse than ever. The rules are worse than ever. The refereeing seems to be worse than ever. The number of games I've seen, and maybe it's because I watch Philadelphia Eagles football, the number of games I've seen where with like 25 penalties, I can't remember this even a couple of years ago. It just, it, it's just, it seems like the sheer force of everything is just sucking the life out of football. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to, to overreact to it. Uh, some of it is cyclical. It's like the last number of years have been obviously wild offense and, and, you know, the defense can't touch anybody and receivers can do anything and the ball moves uh, 500 yards at a time. I have, uh, as far as I can tell, but I can't back it up with any empirical evidence, it does feel like the running game is making a, a bit of a return. It's a bit on vogue. Maybe some of the younger running backs, but I don't know. I, I, I'm trying not to overreact to some, some bad ratings, you know, for not even what is this half a year yet. They, they do it. They've walked into what, <laughs> I mean, the, the schedule, I'm going to pull this up right now, so I'm not talking out of my ass, but it feels like the games that they've had on, in primetime are worse than ever. Okay, so this week, we had Jaguars-Titans, which is about as bad a football game as you can get. Eagles-Cowboys is a good matchup. And then Vikings-Bears on Monday night is absolutely terrible. And I, I know they've always had bad, bad games, but we had Bears at Packers last Thursday, and that was Bears where they had backups everyone everywhere. You had that 6-6 game on Sunday night, and then you had a 27-9 Broncos victory over the, the Texans. 
on Monday night. And the previous week, you had Cardinals beating a terrible Niners team easily on Thursday, the Packers eking out an ugly win against the Giants, and then another terrible game, the Buccaneers barely beating the Panthers in a penalty-filled game. The, the feature games seem to be terrible. Yeah, uh, you named Thursday. I don't know if we can ever call that a feature game. It's never been good. But you're right. Sunday night in particular, with the exception of last night, has been pretty bad this year. And I think for the most part, if you're a football fan, you really enjoy the Sunday night football because it's in prime time. That helps. You got the best announced crew. Way better than everybody the, the, else. The, the quality of the, the actual telecast and product is very high. And then to have a stinker game is just really sucks the life out. And you know what? You, you save it. For some of us who have families, you can't just sit and watch football all day. So for me, a lot of the time, it's like, okay, I'm going to save it up for Sunday night because that's the big game. Mm-hmm. And when it's garbage, oh, it's the, the whole week is ruined. <laughs> it, it, it just, I, I think you're probably right that it's, it's, we shouldn't read too much into it. But I think big picture, there are warning signs. Because, you know, people always compare boxing to football. Boxing was, you know, the, the biggest sport in America, at least, but probably North America in the, you know, the 50s and 60s and 70s, and it faded away. But I don't think that's necessarily because people got tired of boxing. I think they got tired of the boxing establishment and how they couldn't see the best fights and how it was corrupt and poorly run. And and those things have an impact on every sport. If football was well run, I don't think it would have a lot of the problems it does. It uh, it has left a, a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. That. I think there, uh, another factor that I've thought about the last couple of weeks is like when I'm thinking of um, younger football players, you know, future stars, the guys that like make me want to watch a game, mm-hmm. uh, not too many really come to mind is, is kind of the thing. Like most of the good quarterbacks are all in their like, I don't know, mid to late that 30s. Does, that feels really true, the quarterback thing. Is like that. Like that's a that's a big one, right? There's not a lot of. There are still obviously dominant players, like a guy like Julio Jones and things like that. But when the league doesn't even let them like celebrate a touchdown for more than like two seconds, oh, like that, what that, are they, I, what are they thinking? I know that they're trying to like, I, I guess, have some respect and credibility, but like it is just gladiators on on a fake grass field. So, like, if they want to dance around a little bit, let them dance around. I want to see the character. The character. It's my, the best part of highlight packages more often. We like, this is what's been removed from sports for us, is you or I, we love it when teams hate each other. Sports hate is great. You know, watching teams, you know, they said, these two teams don't like each other, that terrible cliche we always hear. But when we're watching playoff hockey and teams actually hate each other, nothing is better. You love that. And in football now, they're giving them 15 yards penalties for using the ball as a prop when you score a touchdown. I watched Washington score a touchdown against the Eagles, and the Washington receiver, whoever caught the ball, threw the football through the goalpost like he was shooting a basketball and got a 15-yard penalty. How incredibly stupid is that? Like, with, with, the, <laughs> with the number of unpenalized headshots and problems the league has, 
And they're spending their time focusing on how a guy celebrates. If he uses the ball as a prop to celebrate, it is a penalty. That just seems so insane to me. I can barely fathom it. You know, the thing about football is, it's hard. Like, those guys practice precision on every play all week with banged up bodies. And then for it to actually play out in a game and work and you per- you execute it to perfection, <laughs> yeah, you should let them dance around a little bit or pretend to punt a football through the post or whatever. And then it'll probably make, make the other team hate them a little bit and also want to score. I, I think if you're going to flag a guy for celebrating, flag the guy who hits a running back for a loss when his team's down 24 points. Mm-hmm. That guy's an idiot. You're losing. Flag him for stupidity. But otherwise, I don't think there's a fan anywhere that's like, oh boy, I really don't, really don't like his twerking. No, well, they, that's they, just they... not good for us. <laughs> well, I don't understand their drive to suck the personality out of these games. Like, do, wouldn't you want your players do? Wouldn't you want your players doing stuff that gets the media talking, that gets people talking? Wasn't I, like... the NHL's entire problem? for all these years is that none of their players had a personality. Exactly. They had no stars. Yeah. And the NFL, who's at the top of the pile, is like, hmm. It's almost like they, they want to go after that template. They have. They've killed, like, what do we, you know, you or I watch a fair bit of football. What do we really know about a lot of these guys? Nothing, right? Like, they're all, they have to be robots. And when they speak out, they get fined and they get in trouble. You tell a guy like Cam Newton's a character. He has things to say. But if he says anything, he's fine. And I, I just don't understand the logic behind this. You'd think you'd want to build up the stars like the NBA does, frankly. You'd want the players to be the stars, but maybe they just don't want the players to have too much power. Oh, I, I bet you that Kaepernick stuff during the anthem, the league office must have just gone apeshit. <laughs> but there's not really anything they could do in that specific scenario. That's just... You know, if, if that happened here, what do you think the response would be? The Kaepernick stuff. Let's say oh, some we, guy was we'd probably have like a symposium to discuss it. Do you think so? I just don't think people would care that much here. If a player people generally just... don't care, like I, I, I work with a few American guys, and they're like, they don't appreciate the how he goes about doing it. They they feel very strongly about the anthem. It would seem. Mm-hmm. I, this is a, not sports related at all, but what he's raising awareness to is a very important issue. And if kneeling during a made up song is his way of expressing it and bringing attention to it, then I don't see what's wrong with that. I just, yeah, if his point wasn't valid, I think I would understand the anger a little bit more. But I don't see how anybody could, uh, we don't want to delve too far into politics here, but I don't see how anyone could disagree that his, his cause is just. Like, it's clearly a problem that needs to be addressed, right? Like, it, it seems obvious. Well, it's not like he's, like, taking a knee hoping McDonald's would bring back pizza. Like... <laughs> Although Americans would probably be much more understanding of that. Oh, <laughs> they'd be like, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, ah! Give me my McGrim. I want my McGrim. So, uh, well, um, anything you do to fix this curse? 
Or is football just going to have to keep rolling? Uh, I don't know. Allow the personalities that football in particular has. I think that's probably a pretty good idea. Mm -hmm. As far as if there is a talent gap or with quarterbacks or other skill position players, that's cyclical. That works itself out over time. But just let the let the let the people be. Right. Let the men play. I have a thought. I have a thought to all all sports leagues, but particularly the NFL. Simplify things. And it sounds stupid, but simplify the rules on a catch. Simplify the rules. Like, these things are overly technical. Like, football has become so confusing for the average person. I just wish we'd say, you know, make the rules. You know, if the guy catches the ball, he has possession. Done. Leave it, like, just rewrite that rule book so things aren't so complicated, aren't so complex. Make the rules just simplify everything. I, I wish this... I watch football now, and I just think everything is too technical. I always ask myself if I could explain the game of football to anybody. And if you didn't grow up watching football, how would you get into it at this point? How do you explain some of these? How do you explain what a catch is and what isn't a catch? And what is a fumble and what isn't a fumble? And what is challengeable and what is not challengeable? What is pass interference and what isn't pass interference? Oh, I, to somebody coming in ice cold, I would I have enough trouble explaining offside of hockey. I can't even imagine trying to do it. I just wish we could.